Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. Last week, you recall that we uh, visually and mentally walked into God's spiritual armory, the place that, that houses weapons for defense and protection for attack. I mean, uh, just the opposite of that. Protection for defense, weapons for attack. We, we looked at each item in that spiritual armory. Now, each week, we're going to take it piece by piece off the wall and hold it and look at it and talk about the importance of it. So the first one we're going to pull off the wall today is the belt of truth. We are commanded to put on the belt of truth. I want to remind you why that's so critically important in the life of one who has committed their life to Christ. Satan has an arsenal just as real as God's armory. His arsenal are weapons and strategies to bring us down in our faith and in our belief in Christ. He desires to cause us to become defeated, discouraged. He ultimately longs to destroy us. And so just as Satan's arsenal is real, God's armory is real, and God provides us armor and equipment to protect us from each arsenal that Satan has. And so today, we're going to look at the belt of truth that God has given us as protection against Satan's deception. You might ask, why would the list of the armor begin with the belt? Was that simply the order in which a soldier would garb up for battle? Or is there significance beyond just that that would require the Apostle Paul to begin under the inspiration of God with the issue of truth? Well, hopefully, we'll see the importance of beginning with truth as we move through the message today. So let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, our focus will be on the first part of verse 14, but we're going to read from verse 10 down to our text today. So let's look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 14 as we prepare uh, to hear God's word together. Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles and the schemings of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day 
and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Let's pray together. Father, we very humbly hold in our hands the truth that you have revealed to us in the pages of your word and the life of your son. And Father, it's our desire that we would come to understand better your truth. And so, Father, I pray today that you would please speak through me. Because unless you speak, I have nothing at all to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are several keys to the spiritual armor that have to be focused on before we get to the belt of truth. One of those is to whom this was addressed. He says there in verse 10, finally, my brethren. That was a general term for family or for siblings, so to speak. He was saying, finally, brothers and sisters in Christ. He was not addressing this to the general population. He was not addressing this to the city of Ephesus. It bears the name Ephesians because it was addressed to those who had put their faith and trust in Christ who lived in Ephesus. They were his brothers and sisters in Christ. If you don't fall into that category of being a person who has put their faith and trust in Christ, then you have already been taken captive. You are a prisoner in this war. And only Christ can set you free. And when you do come to a point where you realize that through Satan's devices in your life and through the sinfulness of your own heart, you've been separated from God and you are desperate for some relief and some redemption and you turn to Christ as the ultimate perfect sacrifice for that sin that separates you from God and you put your trust in Christ, then he sets you free and you become a brother or a sister in Christ. You become a part of the body of Christ, so to speak. So it's important to keep that in mind before we rush into a passage to whom it was written. It it was written to people who knew Christ personally as their Lord and Savior. That's why he could go on to say in verse 10, be strong in the Lord. You're in the Lord, be strong in him. And in the power of his might. Then he says, put on the whole armor of God. It's God's armor. We are to put on what God has given us for this battle that is raging. So that puts it in context for us as we look at verse 14. Stand therefore. It's almost a picture of being called to attention, called to inspection, like a soldier lined up 
and the leader marching along, inspecting them, seeing if they are prepared for battle. Stand, therefore, with the belt of truth around your waist. So let's walk through some things about truth. First of all, to know Christ is to know the truth. Pontius Pilate, when Christ was brought before him, the man who would pass the death sentence upon him in a physical, earthly sense, asked the question, what is truth? He was trying to sort out things that were being said about Jesus and what the truth is. That's a big question in our world today, isn't it? What is truth? Some would say what is true for you is not always true for me, and what's true for me is not always true for you because truth is relative. But the Bible presents truth as absolute. I remember in a college classroom one time a student saying to me as we looked at the Scripture, but there is no absolute truth. And I said, do you believe that? And she said, yes. And I said, you just spoke a false statement because you just said there is absolutely no absolute truth. The Bible says there is absolute truth. Your heart bears witness to that because you have some sense of right and wrong. You have a conscience that's been given to you by God that somehow helps you to understand that difference. Now, you can damage that conscience. You can harden your heart, but there is absolute truth, and it comes not from humans determining what truth is, but from God who is true. So we're to stand, therefore, wrapping ourselves in the belt of truth. We're to be prepared, to stand firm, to be permanent, to be enduring, and we're to put on this armor of truth. To know Christ is to know the truth. If you turn back to the left there from Ephesians and go back to the gospel according to John in chapter 8, Jesus is addressing some very religious people And he says this, we've looked at this before. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. He's talking about the truth as revealed in him. Because if you look in chapter 14 of the gospel according to John, Verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was saying, I am the embodiment of what is true. I am the picture of truth. I am the reality of truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He's already said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free, he's saying that to know him is to know the truth. 
Anything outside of Christ may or may not be true, but in Christ resides truth. Then if you turn to chapter 16 in that same gospel according to John, you find another statement about truth, and this is critical to understanding the necessity of the belt of truth. Chapter 16, he's talking about going away and sending a comforter to them just like him. He tells us in verse 8, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He will convict those who are in the world of what is wrong, sin, what is right, righteousness, and judgment, what is the consequences. The Holy Spirit will do that. But notice further down how the Holy Spirit is described in verse 13. However, when the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. You hear the title given to the Holy Spirit there by Jesus? He is the Spirit of truth. So the reality is the Holy Spirit comes. For those who don't know Christ, He convicts them of what's wrong, sin, what's right, righteousness, the consequences of that, which is judgment. But for the believer, He is a comforter that comes to us and reveals to us what is true, because he is the very spirit of truth. There are three persons in the Godhead. All of them embody all of truth. The Holy Spirit, the embodiment of truth, dwells within us. So if you're a believer and you've put your faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and he is the spirit of truth. Now let let me remind you, in in John chapter 8, Satan is revealed there as the father of lies. Let's let's look back there. I want to give you that scripture reference. John chapter 8, verse 44. Here's what it says about Satan. Talking about people that are not in Christ. You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Now just think of the direct contrast there is here. You have the spirit of truth, the father of lies. Where's the greatest battle in your life where those two begin to collide? Truth and lies. What's the truth? What's the lie? Sorting that out. Why is it so prominent in the New Testament that there were false teachers not teaching what was true but what was false? Because there is a battle 
that rages at the intersection, the collision of truth and lies. It goes beyond just truth and lie. It, it goes bigger than that. It's the spirit of truth colliding with the father of lies. And if you are a believer in Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you are going to be bombarded by the father of lies. He's going to try to deceive you, try to discourage you, try to twist your mind and, and bend your, your uh, convictions. And so there you are at the center of that collision between the spirit of truth and the father of lies. It lies. It is a spiritual battle that's raging. So you see why it's very important that the belt of truth is the first item referred to? If you don't have the truth and the truth is not wrapped around you and you're not living in the truth, to know the truth is to know Christ. To, to know the truth and to know Christ is being dwelt by the spirit of truth. To be knowing Christ and knowing the truth and being indwelt by the spirit of truth is that you are on the way to heaven through him who is the truth, the way and the life who is Christ. And if Satan can't keep you out of heaven, he desires to keep heaven out of you. But the Holy Spirit indwells you, but he tries to keep you from accessing him. It's a spiritual battle. Do you see the high stakes? The spirit of truth versus the father of lies. And there it rages at that collision. So if you look at 1 John, toward the end of the Bible, if you get to Revelation, you're a little too far, just come back a little bit, you'll find 1 John. Let's look at chapter 2. He says more under the inspiration of God about truth. As a matter of fact, as I was reading through 1 John for today, I noticed that truth and lies are prominent throughout the entire book. Truth is mentioned in all five chapters of 1 John. John was the man who was following Christ. He was known as the beloved disciple or the one closest to him. He said what we have just read about truth and about Christ. Now he's writing to believers and telling them more about truth and lies and what's right and what's wrong. And this whole epistle or letter is filled with that theme of truth versus Lies, But in chapter 2, I want to highlight one place where that happens. In verse 18 of chapter 2, little children. That's the equivalent of what the Apostle Paul used in verse 10 of Ephesians 6. He's saying as a spiritual leader, as followers of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, children, it is the last hour... And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, coming, even now many Antichrists have come. What is the last hour? It's everything from the ascension of Christ to his return. We are in the last days or the last hour. He says, you've heard that the capital A Antichrist is going to come, but I tell you even now there are many lowercase a, antichrist, have already come. 
by which we know that is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Now, that's a very similar statement that Satan is a liar and there is no truth in him. Well, there is no lie in the truth. And then notice what he says. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. There's some people say, I believe in God, but I don't care for the Jesus stuff. Well, the reality is you can't have one without the other. They're equivalent here. He who denies the Father and the Son is that one who says that Jesus is not the Christ or the sent one. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And then it goes on. You see, again, that that whole thing of this raging battle of truth and lies and deception. So I just want to remind you, to know Christ is to know the truth. If you want to know what the truth is, you look at the Word of God and the Son of God, and there you find the ultimate revelation of absolute truth. Then secondly, when we think about this belt of truth, yes, it's, it's most important in that line of order because everything hinges on the truth as revealed in Scripture and in Jesus. But there's a second thing here that's very important, and that is we are to envelop our life with the truth of God's Word. There's a sense in which when you come to Christ, you step into the truth. Then you spend the rest of the life letting the truth fill you and envelop you. You want to be covered and filled with the truth of God's Word. It says there, stand therefore, having girded your waist with the belt of truth. Now, the the greatest tragedy, you might say, are the people in the world that have never, ever held a Bible never ever heard the name of Christ, never ever heard or read the Scriptures. They have no access. You know what I think is a greater tragedy? People who do and don't partake of it. People who have been graced with the truth of God's Word, the truth as revealed in Christ, because now no one in the room can say, I've never been encountered by the truth of God's Word or the truth that's revealed in Christ, you have been encountered by it today. Even if this is the first time, you, you have now stepped into a new reality. But the, the truth of God's Word, when it remains closed and not read, it, it, it may be helpful in some ways to prop a door open up or something like that, but personally and spiritually, you have to intake the scripture. You have to envelop yourself in it. Just live in the truth. So in Ephesians chapter 4, if you turn back from Ephesians 6 to Ephesians 4, 
you find a, a statement that's very helpful. It begins in verse 11 by talking about gifted people that have been given to the church. They are uh, people who are spiritual gifts to the church, not that they're special, but what God can do through them when they make themselves available special. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, saints is another word for the church, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. And that talks about Christ and what he does for the body. Now, some people say, well, the Scripture says we're to speak the truth in love. So they might say, brother, I love you, but that is an ugly shirt. Well, I spoke, spoke the truth in love. I told him I loved him. I just told him his shirt was ugly. Or people say, I don't say anything unless it's true, and boy, is this true. But do you hear the contrast there? You're in Christ, you're maturing, building up one another. You're to edify the body of Christ or build it up so that we begin to mature and we're not being driven by every trickery and doctrine that's out there. The way to determine your spiritual maturity at times is just to know how grounded you are in the truth of God's Word. And so it says, in light of all of the false that's out there, all those winds of doctrine that blow us back and forth, we are to speak the truth to one another in love that we might come to a maturity and an understanding of the truth. And that's happened today in our lives, hasn't it? Many of us were involved in a small group where we interacted around the truth of God's Word, and that Word was spoken to one another in truth and in love. Even now, as I bring this message, I'm, I'm going into great detail out of love for Christ and His Word, but also out of love for this body so that we can be equipped in wearing the belt of truth. I love what William Gurnall says about this. As we accept or reject truth, we accept or despise God. Although man cannot pull God from his throne and ungod him, they come as close as possible when they attack the truth. They can't ungod God, so they attack the truth. They execute God in effigy. Then he says, cleave to the truth, and the truth will cleave to you. If you want to know if, if something's correct or incorrect, somebody's saying about Scripture, number one, go to the Word. But one thing can settle it. 
immediately? Is it making little of God and much of me? That's not the truth. They're trying to un-God God, and they're trying to God me. They're, they're playing checkers, and they're saying, he's out, king me. That's one way to discern. And when you come to look at the word, it always makes much of God and much of Christ and his activity and his kingship and his lordship and very little of us who are sinners that are simply sinners who have to put our faith and trust in Christ to be anything at all. So to know Christ is to know the truth, and we're to envelop our life with the truth of God's Word. But then thirdly and finally, we are to live a life of truthfulness. Those who are in the truth are to live a life of truthfulness and trustworthiness. That's the goal for us. So gird yourselves with the belt of truth. Now, what is the significance of the belt? Well, when the soldier was putting on his armor, he put a belt around his waist. It would pull his clothing in tight and keep it from uh, limiting him and um, causing distractions, and it would enable him to put on the other armor properly. So it was kind of the foundation move to do that. And so the picture here is he says, put on the belt of truth. That gives you ease of freedom and movement in the battle. If you're living in the truth, do you, do you understand how, how light you can be? When you're living a lie, do you know how heavy that is? And how limiting that is? And how mentally tormenting that is to keep the lie a lie? To keep the lie alive? Do you understand how heavy that is in a person's life? But if you're in the truth of Christ, he, he set you free because you know you're a sinner. By the way, everybody in the room knows you're a sinner. You're the only one trying to fool anybody else because all of us know that we're all broken and sinful, every one of us. But we come to Christ, we say, I'm a sinner, but you are my Savior and I embrace Him. I, I've confessed the biggest thing in my life. Now I'm, I'm free to live and walk in that truth of His Word. And then I don't build my life based on what you say about me. I build my life upon what He says about me as a new creation in Christ Jesus. I know the truth, and the truth is setting me free. So we're to live a life of truthfulness. Now, if you look at Psalm 15, I just want to give you several references today about truth and integrity here. When I open my Bible to Psalm 15, there, there are three names written there. Jaron, Kobe, Josiah in May. Micah's name will go there because this is my prayer for for my sons and my grandsons, that they would be Psalm 15 men. But in Psalm 15, it's talking about a godly person. And it says in verse 1 and 2, 
Lord, who may abide or travel in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks up light, rightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. And speaks the truth in his heart. You see, if you're living a lie, what are you speaking in your heart? Lies. Because one lie requires another lie, which requires another lie, and the only person you can discuss all of this lying to is yourself, you're not speaking truth in your heart. Are you true within your heart? We typically think of sin as something that taints us from the outside, but the reality is sin taints our life from inside. God wants to work from the inside out, and he wants us to speak truth in our hearts. So when, when someone says you're worthless, if you belong to Christ, you say, actually, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things pass away. Behold, all things have become new. If people talk about my outward appearance, I begin to talk about what Christ has done to my heart and the hidden places of my heart. So then if you turn to Psalm 51, one more verse here, Psalm 51. Immediately you think of David crying out to God for, for, his, for forgiveness of his sin of adultery and murder. And he could have just focused on those outward acts. And he did initially because he said to his commander that he sent out with the death warrant, don't let this thing displease you. But then later the scripture says, but the thing that he did displeased God. You see, if you're going to deal with your sin correctly, you, you should be concerned about how it affects others and, and how it changes their percent. All of that, that's a real concern at times, but the ultimate concern is not what they think of you, it's what God knows about you. You displeased God, a holy God that must be reckoned with. So in verse 6, in this prayer of repentance, he says this, to God, behold, you desire truth in my inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. So truth is not just an objective thing out here that, that is at arm's length, but truth is something God longs to implant in our hearts, that we speak truth to ourselves and our hearts, and that we know his truth in the inward parts. We're to live a life of truthfulness. Have you heard people say it's hard to act like a Christian? Well, then you need to stop acting. You're not an actor on a stage. You just need to live in the truth of God's word. And when you sin, he convicts you, get right with God and keep walking and standing. Stop trying to act like a Christian. 
Give the Holy Spirit control of your life. Wrap your life, envelop your life in God's truth, and then live a life of truthfulness. It was kind of humorous that we were asking people initially to wear masks to church when for years I've been telling people, leave your mask at home and come real to the place of worship. Someone has said on Sunday morning, that's the largest gathering of a masquerade party in the world because we're not real and we're not true in the inward parts and it's not making its way out in our lives. We need to live a life of truthfulness. Let me read from William Gurnall one more time. The devil has more temptations than an actor has costumes for the stage. And one of his all-time favorite disguises is that of a lying spirit to abuse your tender heart with the worst news he can deliver. And the worst news is this, that you do not really love Jesus Christ and that in your pretending you are only deceiving yourself The real goal of the devil's plot is to scare the saint or the Christian and knock off the wheels of his chariot, which used to carry him often into the presence of God in worship. Because the Christian suspects he is not sincere anymore, he reasons that it is better to stay away from God's people than to join them with a false heart. Keep your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith and step right over the devil's obstacle course. What a great statement. Just keep moving. Live in the truth and step over the devil's obstacle course. Anybody find themselves going through that obstacle course this week? Yeah. It's a challenge, isn't it? Am I in Christ? Yes, I'm in Christ. Well, a Christian wouldn't do that. Well, a Christian wouldn't do this either. God, please forgive me. But I'm doing it. I'm not trying to act like a Christian. I'm a child of God, and I turn to him. You're in that obstacle course. He's got a target on your heart, not just your back. He wants to take you down. He wants to take you out. And the only way you can maneuver through the obstacle course is to live in truthfulness and to allow the spirit of truth to control your life. I saw something that I'll never, ever forget in my life. I was in a stadium in Denver, Colorado that was packed with men, some 60-something thousand men. And literally, I experienced all of the oxygen being sucked out of that stadium when this thing happened on the stage. There was no pulpit out there. The speaker had brought out all kinds of hunting kind of traps, like a big bear trap. They took the trunk of a tree and set that set in that bear trap and it it cut it in half then there were smaller traps and and more fierce traps and they were all over the stage and they had to get special permission to have them in a room with uh, in a building with that many people and they had have special people there to set the traps 
Then he called for a volunteer, so he got a father and a son to come up there. Now, the illustration initially, I'm going to change the application of the initially was how much young men need guidance in their lives from their dads. And so he had the son stand here. He had the dad stand there on the other side of the traps. And he blindfolded the son. So the dad's standing here and he said, now, son, I just want you to walk over to your dad. But be careful. That's when the oxygen left the stadium. It was like one joint gasp. Complete silence, no air. It's like, <gasps> And so the, the young man had to be an eighth grader because only eighth graders start walking through the traps with a blindfold on. He took two steps and the speaker said, whoa, stop. He said, dad, come over here. He said, you walk him through those traps. So he said, son, put your hands on my shoulders and stay right behind me. And he navigated him through the traps. What a great illustration for dads. I had one of my sons at that event with me. And and I can't even begin to tell you how emotional I was. And then there was this eruption of cheering as they went through the traps. But here's the reality. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you if you know Christ. The Spirit of truth is there. And here's the deal. Many of Satan's traps are invisible. Only perceived with spiritual eyes or the eyes of the Holy Spirit. And only he can guide you around those traps. Stand, therefore, with the belt of truth and let the spirit of truth take hold of your life and guide you through the traps. That's why truth is so crucial. Without truth, faith has nothing to rest on. Without truth, there is no difference between righteousness and unrighteousness. Without truth, there is no sword of the Spirit. Without truth, there is no helmet of salvation. Stand, therefore, and gird yourself or wrap yourself in the belt of truth. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.